We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, we all make mistakes, and the best thing to do is own up for it. The last podcast, I said we should say we're probably going to win the league. I apologize. We are definitely going to win the league. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, there are conclusions you should draw from preseason, and I said, you know, after I think it was the Everton game, that one conclusion we could draw is that we're probably going to win the league. Um, and, and I accept that I made that mistake, that I did not go far enough. And quite clearly, after a 4-0 victory over Chelsea, we are definitely going to win the league. Um, all kidding aside, I do want to say thank you to everybody who sent me kind messages and everybody who sent me funny messages on the internet about uh, what is a fairly gruesome ankle injury I have suffered. I did post the um, images online. I know some of the patrons were upset. Um, they said that... Uh, as subscribers, the foot pictures should be exclusively behind the paywall. Um, I get it, and I'm sorry, but I put them out there for free because, as I always say, I love everybody in the community, both patrons and non-patrons alike. So everybody got the foot pics. Um, some people have said that I've taken the mantle from James McNicholas as the person who gets injured and therefore, therefore uh, brings on good things for the Arsenal, the voodoo doll for Arsenal. I am not prepared to take over that mantle. I do not accept that role. So, uh, no, I reject that. In any event, I uh, hope everyone's doing well. Love you. If you're watching on YouTube, you see an image behind me uh, of the suffering that I am enduring, the the location I am in that I have to suffer through with this ankle injury. Uh, you may also hear seagulls in the background. Um, that is not just uh, me, the noises that I made as I was falling off the curb, although they are similar. Here with me now is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stuberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And for those of you watching on YouTube as well, you can probably see my Arsenal heavy background. I've just got in the corner here like a scarf I bought at the 1993 Coca-Cola Cup final. And you can see I've got a space reserved above it for the champion Premier League champions 22-23 scarf um, that's going to be 30 years later. So watch out for that uh, when we wrap the league title up in March. No free advertising, but you know I am holding a Coca-Cola, Coke Zero in my hand. So if Coke wants to sponsor the podcast and send us a lifetime supply of Coke Zero, um, I don't know. It's not like I wouldn't take it. I'm not like dying for it. I've also got a a uh, 
espressino, espressino, I don't know what it's called. It's, it's coffee. All right. Enough of that nonsense. Look, there's a lot to get to here. Uh, there is an instant reaction on Patreon for the Chelsea game. Uh, Giant Gunner and uh, Paul did that, but Clive and I couldn't help ourselves, so we did a little prelude to it. So that covers it fairly comprehensively. We are going to cover it, but we can't cover it for the whole podcast because there's an ADU interview that has come out that's worth um, covering as well. So we'll probably make the whole podcast those two things. The Chelsea game... Um, statistical measurements of how how many points we'll win the league by, and then uh, the ADU interview. So let's start with Chelsea. And Clive, the, the reality is that when you look at preseason, the problem is one team may be taking it more seriously than another. I mean, Chelsea have a fairly senior squad at some positions. Um, so, you know, sometimes those players walk around a little more in preseason. That can make the team that's running more look good. But I... I I mean, obviously, as an Arsenal fan, I tend not to think that's the case here so much. I think that there are signs of what we did well. And I think Thomas Tuchel's annoyance and the comments he made after the game about them not being able to match our physicality, you know, are relevant. Look, Orlando in the summer is like being inside an oven, a humid oven. It's not great. And so the second half was always going to slow down. The first half was always going to be a little more telling. And I think what we saw is that this Arsenal team is going to be an energetic pressing side that wins the ball back and creates chances that way. And it was interesting to see because this lineup, Clive, I think is the 11 that probably starts at Selhurst Park to start the season. I mean, unless Tomiyasu has a miracle recovery um, or Tierney. And even at this point, I'm not sure that they would start because they've had no preseason. So this looks like it to me. And I'm curious if, you know, this, this win the ball back high up the pitch, create chances through, you know, quick, uh, quick, incisive passing from turnovers of possession is, is, really the biggest change in our game or or addition to our game that you think is going to have an impact early in the season? Yeah, so I I, I love preseasons, what they tell you. I, I really do. I think, think back to last year and we played Chelsea at the Emirates and we went into that game full of trepidation, full of trepidation. And, you know, and it happened. They, they bopped us. They kicked us in the mid off the pitch and it come to a league game, did it again a few weeks later. And... None of us were surprised. We just were not in that place, you know? And so you do get a feel from preseason about the atmosphere, the environment, the cohesion as individuals, as players, and also cohesion from a playing perspective. So basically, I well, I didn't go into this game thinking we were going to get beat, regardless whether it was preseason or not. And so when you see the football start, my goodness, um, it was sharp. It was very sharp, very cohesive, very aggressive. Edit your point and pressing. When I watched it, the, I watched the first half of completeness yesterday, and it leaps out at you, just leaps out more than I recognize on the instant reaction. It really leaps out. Everybody on point, everyone at top speed, top speed, top effort, top commitment. And that's what Chelsea weren't. Their commitment is indifferent. They've got players that potentially want to leave. I don't listen to t- the other team's interviews, but I did listen to Tuchel's interview. I recommend it. It's gold. Right, it's absolute gold. Or when something isn't working quite right, and he can see it, he was dumbfounded. We outworked him, we outplayed him. We looked more cohesive. We looked sharper. We looked better. We scored when we needed to. Everything, you know, as an Arsenal fan who, much like you two, is not really a fan of Chelsea. What have done to our recent history with the you know nineteen trophies in Abramovich's era, and how they've basically taken our game within the English game. We beat them on occasion, but not like this, where we dominate them. And it feels to me, 
I don't want to say too much too early, but if I was to want to sign for one of the two clubs, maybe I'm looking at what Arsenal are doing versus what Chelsea have done. And I haven't felt that for a long time, not since Ashley Cole left. Do you know what I mean? That we potentially could be a nicer place to be than the place uh, in West London. Yeah, well said. And Tim, since we're talking pressing, let's let's talk a little bit about the left-hand side because um, I don't think it was like a sparkling, glittering debut for Zinchenko, but he also had literally never kicked a ball to any of these players, and he slots into a system that is fairly complex and looks very at home. I mean, we saw some of the stuff we saw in the scouting video, some challenges in isolation defensively, and I think Reese James is going to cause people problems one-on-one you know, for even the best defensive fullback. So you can forgive him a little bit of that, but he slotted in well. I think we also see why Martinelli is an important player for Arteta. And I know there are, you know, there are people that love him, like me, to be fair, um, people that have questions about him. But if we are going to be a front-footed team that presses a lot, his energy is a critical component of what we want to do off the ball. And I think that, you know, there are things you can do as a player when you're not exactly at the highest level that you want to be that can keep your place in the team. You know, and as long as he's winning the ball back, as long as he's making that difference, um, you know, in in terms of pressing, I think he's going to stay in the team. And oh, by the way, you know, still able to do things like the pass he finds for Odegaard, which I think is a really clever bit of vision. So I'm curious how you think about that left-hand side because there's a lot of debate, right? The Shaka, is he the left eight? Should Martinelli be our left wing? Will Zinchenko start at left back? We got to see all those players play. Shaka looked brilliant. Martinelli's pressing and creativity work wonders. And, you know, Zinchenko, at least for a, a, a debut with no training, I think slotted in really nicely. Yeah, I, I'd really recommend, um, I retweeted it yesterday, a thread from Aaron Catterson Reid. Um, he did a really, really nice thread on uh, on a few things from the game, but particularly on the pressing of the front four. And I think that, and, and you know we're we're gonna we're, we're at risk of losing the Liverpool references and turning every pod into a Gabriel Jesus pod. But when you're talking about it's a good a player, thing, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Um, but you're talking about a player who brings other people's levels up, and and now we've got a nine who can do that, who can do who can be part of that press, but for ninety minutes, like Lacazette. You know, I've given a lot of shit to Lacazette. Um, over the last few months and don't get me wrong I plan to continue doing so but he didn't not try to do that and he he was able to do that for the first half of a game but he couldn't keep it up um, but with Jesus you can and you know I think I said this on the last pod like I just really sense that Martinelli's going to pop this season and the reason I sense that is having that striker around him who's buzzing around who's making angles I think that's going to be so critical. And, and it's why I worry a bit about Smith Rowe missing some of these games, you know, because, you know, look, pre-season, it is important for individual progression and individual players. And I'm sure Smith Rowe must be watching Martinelli playing really well. He's set up goals in, I don't know how many friendlies now, um, and set up for Jesus. He's become really good at kind of getting... That that position Saka picks up a lot on the corner of the area where he whips onto his strong foot and whips that ball in. Martinelli's done that a few times and there's someone there to actually aim at now. Um, and so, you know, you've got the option to go to the back post and we've seen Saka score on the back post a few times um, during, during, this, uh, during this pre-season. We've seen them following in shots because there are shots now. Like we've got players taking shots so you can follow them in and we score a goal exactly like that. So there's just basically there's just more activity happening. 
And Martinelli is the ideal player if you want activity happening around the final third and just having that extra player buzzing around. But with um with with Zinchenko, I think what really made the difference here, and, and and I agree with you, Elliot, I do think this will be the starting lineup against Palace. I hope it is. But what where it really starts from is Ben White at right back and basically just enabling Arsenal to become a back three and just letting Zinchenko bomb on from the left. That then means that Xhaka not necessarily being the most offensively gifted left eight doesn't matter as much because he can fill that space that needs filling. And then you've got two players who can produce in the final third, like Zinchenko, like Martinelli, get them combining, get them in that area of the pitch. And you can just see the scheme from there. You can just see White shuffle across, back three, Zinchenko push right up, just like Tierney does. And then, you know, Xhaka doesn't necessarily have to be a demon in the box. He can stay in that space where he's comfortable. And I just think, you know, you're beginning to get more of these combinations that just suit players basically and and yeah I, I was really enthused by what I saw yeah yeah I, th- I think that's well said and there's a lot of little things you can pick out from this game um I guess let's push the Gabriel Jesus thing back just a little bit further because to your point Tim like I feel like we're talking about him every game and that is a great thing and again another some shows finished but um a little further back you know we said this on the instant reaction Clive but we've had a couple of seasons wrecked because we didn't have the options we needed when certain players went down. Now, you know my feeling. Take care of your first 11, and the rest sorts itself out over time. And if you get a critical injury, sometimes there's no overcoming that, right? I mean, like when Liverpool lost Virgil van Dijk, for example. I mean, if if City had to play a season without Kevin De Bruyne, you know, they're still going to be good because of their depth, but they're not going to be as good. And and so you can't always you can't always legislate for that sort of thing. But you look at the back line we put out today. We didn't have Tierney, but we had Zinchenko. We didn't have Tomiyasu, but we had Ben White. And critically, that meant that we were playing William Saliba at center back and not Rob Holding. And with all due respect to Rob Holding, who we all, you know, like as a guy, you know, Saliba just has that that extra level and that extra level in particular on the ball. And I think when he passes the ball, you just see a difference. It's the tempo. It's the speed at which it arrives, the verticality in his passing. I mean, there's... It, it's not that we don't have other center backs who pass, but there's something to be said for the pass leading to the next action, right? Where the player doesn't have to make a three-touch turn to be able to face the the uh, defenders and figure out where he's going to go next. And I just love watching Saliba pass the ball. I don't think he was you know, super influential in this game, but I think we're getting another glimpse. There's also at least chatter that he's signed a new deal or about to sign a new deal. You have to raise your hand when you get things wrong. I never saw this resolving in a positive way for Arsenal, I will raise my hand and say I absolutely got it wrong and thrilled to have gotten it wrong. It looks like we played this, you know, correctly. That Does that mean that there weren't difficult moments or moments where the player was dissatisfied? I think he would tell you there were. He did say that to the media, uh, so I assume he wasn't lying. But he certainly seemed satisfied with the project, with the manager, with the situation at Arsenal now. It's not done. It looks like it might be done, and he certainly looks like he fits. And, I mean... Unfortunately, due to fitness issues, he may be playing a lot right from the start of the season. So another glimpse of Saliba, Clive, and I'm curious how you see him slotting into this group. Yeah, well, he fits, doesn't he, straight away. And um, when you, when your eyes flash to the screen, he has a level of composure and comfort that 
allows just everything to slow down. And, and Ben White has that too. If you notice how Ben White would hold the ball, we played centre mid, sorry, centre back, and people pop to him and then he pops through. And that's why he looks vertical because there's a composure. And when people like Rob Holding have the ball, again, he's a different type of defender. He's more of a rugged defender. People feel they can press him. And that's why he doesn't look as smooth, right? So, but I will say, uh, Saliba is, we made a mistake then when he didn't get that, con- he didn't get his Europa League squad edition. And we had to sit and play with kids and he was six foot four. That can't happen. That was a, we, he lost three months of his life before he went out to Nice. And, I was worried at that stage, and then he had his niece, and then he had his Marseille, and obviously he's gone bang, right? But what he gives, much like goalkeepers, centre-backs give you a feeling of comfort or not, right? And we all immediately feel comfortable. You know, there was a there was a pass in this game when um, he goes down our inside left between White and Saliba, and he runs back with, with Timo Werner. Last time I looked, he's a little bit quick, and he caught him up, stood there, blocked out the light, um, nearest foot to do the tackle, no dramas at all. Didn't feel stressed. I didn't feel stressed. No one watching felt stressed. And I just think he's a very good one-on-one defender that has composure and presence. And the type of presence that he has, it isn't, it isn't, it isn't a normal thing. You know what I mean? Uh, and it is something that comes along very, very um, rarely. Now, when I was growing up, Sol Campbell had this awesome presence. He'd loom over people. He would, and he would just give your defence that thing. Van Dyke has it. It gives you that thing. You can't describe it, but people don't want to take him on. You know what I mean? You look at his tackle statistics. It's not that great, but he, no one gets past him. People don't want to take him on. He has an aura about him. Saliba at 21 is displaying characteristics which are, you know, they don't come along very often. They really don't. I can't stress he, this enough. He jumps off the screen at you, doesn't he, Clive? Oh like I, I watched, like a little, just a compilation of him, and, and like it, like you say, like I'm sure there are other defenders who are just as big. I'm sure if you stand him next to Ben White, like there's not, or Gabriel, yeah. there's probably not a big size differential, but there's something that makes you go fuck. Do you know what it reminds me of? Like years and years ago, I used to sit near the front of the clock end. And we were playing West Ham once and Sol Campbell was seeing the ball out of play and mm. Jermaine Defoe was trying to get, like I'm laughing because you can imagine what this looked like, Jermaine Defoe trying to poke his foot round to keep the ball in play. And I just remember the guy behind me shouting, you need a fucking taxi to get round him, Jermaine. <laughs> and and that's that's what it feels like, that Van Dyke thing, that Campbell thing, that it, it just somehow... Even though, yeah, he's built like he, he, a, he looks like a centre back, but you you do get that Jesus Christ! Like I don't even want to take. Like there was that stat, wasn't there, about Van Dyke hadn't been beaten in a dribble for like four years or something. Yeah, and yeah. then when you drill down into the stat, it's because only two players have even bothered trying. It. <laughs> exactly, yeah. it feels like that. <clears throat> and there was sometimes there was a little clip. I just it's, it's it's only something small, but when someone has this presence, you sort of know. And Didier Deschamps welcomed Saliba into the French squad. And they showed the two of them meeting. And Deschamps looked at him like he was some sort of god. He just looked at him and went, wow. And I think, obviously, I've not seen him live yet. He has a wonderful presence about... And he has a wonderful presence amongst other elite super athletes. You know, I remember this. He's not not presence next to me. 
he has a prison case in amongst a group of super elite athletes. And I, uh, I'm so excited to see him. And um, it's obviously, um, it's a signing that the rest of the world are not really thinking or talking about because we haven't paid for him this summer. But to all Arsenal fans, we are beyond excited. And if him and Saka sign that contract, mate, get the bunting out, Tim. Get the bunting out. Yeah, <laughs> can, can I can I just add on that? I can't remember. I if would I, love it, please. I, it's, it's, it allows us to save the Gabriel Jesus stuff. For a little <laughs> I'm I'm losing. I, I'm I'm on a lot of podcasts at the moment about a lot of d- different football, so I'm losing track of what I've said. So I can't remember if I said this already. But like, if we'd signed Saliba for 27 million from Marseille this summer. Like it'd feel like the going rate, wouldn't it? It looks such a strange kind of, not a strange signing, but you know, you, it made you think, wow, that's quite a lot of money. I actually think that'd now be a bargain. Think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you just think, yeah, that's that's probably the going rate um, for him. And and just to draw another comparison for people who are watching the women's Euros at the moment, French centre half, French captain Wendy Renard, um, mm. another one who, um, I mean, she's six foot one and in the women's game, there aren't many players who are six foot one, but another one you look at and just go, yeah. fucking hell, I'm not going to, I'm friends. just, I'm going to go for the other centre back. Sorry about that. Can yeah. I just say one more there, thing? Funny, just one, it, one more last thing. If you would. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go on mute. And when you guys are done today, let me know. I'll well, because uh, uh, sometimes you see something that get you excited. And I can, rem- I can yeah. remember the summer of 2003 and Arsenal played Rangers away. Tim will tell me if I'm right. Right. So Arsenal played Rangers away in a preseason friendly. And it was the was first there. time I, I was you, Craig, because Rangers is my other team, right? So I remember it. And basically, that was the first time I saw Sol Campbell and Colour Torre together. And when I saw them, I went, oh my goodness, we're going to do something this year. Right. And it was obvious. It was just obvious. And I was making bold predictions about us winning the league and the rest of it, blah, 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 like you do. And um, and I've seen this defence together with White, Gabriel and um, Saliba. And I'm looking at it thinking, oh, my goodness, they've got a lot. And I'll say it again, look at their ages. I mean, that is no joke. 24 and under, all of them. Wow. Wow. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. It's funny watching the evolution of online debates, right? Because, like, there were people who were furious we didn't have Saliba in the team and were were com- committed to the argument that Saliba was amazing and would make us better. And there were people who then obviously felt we were doing the right thing and committed to the argument that Saliba's not ready, he's not very good, you're overrating him. And now it's funny watching, like everybody scrambled to be like, Saliba is amazing, but actually you were wrong because we did the right thing, not bringing him right. Like all the, all the arguments have to have to get updated, but we can always um, fall back to our original point somehow if we work hard enough. And that's the important thing. The good news is he makes Arsenal better. It looks like he's here to stay. And I think um, skill is important, obviously, but sometimes raw physical attributes can't be replaced. And Saliba has raw physical attributes that make him special. I mean, you look at the center back that Manchester United have signed. He may be excellent. I know he's very highly regarded. We did a scouting video on him, and had we gotten him, I think he would have made us better at left back, mind you. But he is going to have to overcome the fact that he is not quick-footed and that he is not big. He will have to be so good that he can overcome those things. And to be fair, some players can. They have that devil in them. They have that skill in them. They can overcome it. But it is a thing he will always have to overcome. William Saliba may not be as good as Lissandro Martinez as a footballer. I don't know. We're going to find out. 
but he will never have to overcome those things because he is big enough, strong enough, and fast enough to be elite. So I, I do think that when you're, especially with center back, less true at other positions, but at center back, if you're starting with those physical traits, you have an easier path to being a dominant player. Um, you know, the Colatories of the world, first of all, I think they need the right partner next to them, but he was quick. I mean, he was really, really, really quick, and that can make up for a lot of sins. Um, you know, so we we see players make up for their deficiencies. Like Per Mertesacker was incredibly slow, incredibly technical tackler, right? He didn't go to ground. He knew how to use his feet to make a tackle, to use his body. But when you look at a Virgil van Dyke, Virgil van Dyke is super big and strong and super quick. And he knows how to use those tools because he has them in his locker. And Saliba has those tools in his locker and you can't teach them. They're just physical attributes. So I think we're very, very fortunate to have a player like him. Um, We'll have to see, you know, how it goes. But I think given that we want to be more front-footed, a team that presses, a team that's higher up the pitch, first of all, you need recovery pace in the center backs and have it now. And you need passing. They, they have to be vertical passers. You can't just have a horseshoe at the back, and they can do that now. We saw the 2-3-5 formation in this game. We, we, we knew that was the evolution, right? The two center backs at the back of the formation, the two fullbacks and the deepest midfielder in a midfield three, and then a line of five that sort of interchange and, and can engage with each other in various positions up the pitch, and that's what we've moved to. And so, Tim, I'll, I'll, I'll let you get the first crack at this because I've, I've given so much of it to Clive in the past. Gabriel Jesus... Great player or the greatest player? <laughs> oh, oh, the greatest player. It's okay. really funny, you know, I, I did um, every Sunday we, we call my, my family in Brazil. Well, my wife's family in Brazil. And uh, my wife was out yesterday. So I did the call um, on my own with my daughter, which is slightly daunting because, you know, I then have to have the conversation unassisted in Portuguese, um, which which is still not always entirely comfortable. But the first thing my brother-in-law said to me <laughs> was like, Gabriel Jesus, and, you know, bang, conversation went from there. I didn't worry about the language after that. I got through it. And, um, and, and yeah, yeah. And, and what was interesting was hearing from, from his perspective as a Brazil fan, um, you know, no, no tie to Arsenal whatsoever. And he was saying, you know, look, from my perspective, really, really happy that he's gone somewhere else and he's going to play centre forward because that that's the position Brazil needs someone in and, and all of that. So it was really interesting getting that like perspective from a fan of the Brazilian national team. It's like, I'm, I'm so glad he's gone to like a good club where he's going to be the main man and lead the line and everything like that. Um, but, you know, you saw that. For, and and here's the thing, right? I, I, it's completely right that his finishing was not where it should have been at Man City. I think that that's not false because it all actually happened, but that's not the player I saw in Brazil. The player at Palmeiras was a fucking killer in front of goal. And when he first came into the Brazilian national team, he wasn't missing anything. I think that for him at City, the issue was he knew he had Aguero in front of him. So he only started up front every six weeks and he knew when he did, I mean, he'd score, he could score a hat-trick and he's not in the team again next week. And I think that led to him snatching at chances, rushing at things and, you know, just not being entirely comfortable in that. I have to do something absolutely incredible even to get in the conversation here. And I don't think he's got that at Arsenal, really. We hope Nketiah will push him. Um, and we're projecting a little bit there on Inketia, but that like that finish we we saw in this pre-season friendly against Chelsea. I know it's a friendly and all of that, but that just looked 
you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that I didn't see that finish at City. I saw that finish for Brazil. I saw that finish for Palmeiras. I didn't see that at City. And I do think there is something as well about, you know, sometimes players can play under Guardiola for too long, maybe, and maybe lose just a little bit of that kind of because they become one of a number. And that's probably better for the team. But sometimes an individual can lose their edge a little bit in a in a in a kind of um system like that. And I, I do think that that happened to Jesus. He got um, you know, he got peppified a little yeah. bit. And don't get me wrong, like Arteta obviously has a lot of the same principles as, as Guardiola anyway, but you know, I, I do think that there is something to him him flourishing here. And I don't I don't know if this is a good segue or not, but uh, Edu talks about this in the interview he did with James in the Athletic. He he said that I spoke to Gabriel and he said I'm signing you, but I don't want to sign the you from last season. I want to sign the Gabriel Jesus I saw before that. And I think that's what everyone's driving at here. Yeah, you you know, it's funny too, because there's always this competition for places improves everybody theory. And that can be true, but I don't think it is 100% true for 100% of the players. And like, I look at me, for example, I was always terrible at auditioning. I'm bad when I have to like prove that I can do it. Once I get the job or get the gig or get the role and I can just be comfortable and know that, hey, there was faith put in me and now I can just go out and show what I got, that's when I think I excel, right? Um, I often freeze up during like an audition but do well during the performance. And, you know, Gabriel Jesus may be in a position here where actually being the guy suits him lets him show a little more of his his arrogance, his confidence, right? When there's a guy behind you who's just as talented and just as ready to kill you and take your place and eat your lunch and replace you, maybe when you're in front of goal, you think, I'm not going to go for the chip finish here because my coach will think that's nonchalant. Maybe I'm not going to go for the extravagant flick. You know, I need to keep it tidy. I need to keep it safe. I need to do the technical things that keep me in the game, right? I need to focus on my running. I need to focus on my defense. Gabriel Jesus is the star of this team now. And so he doesn't have to play that way. If he wants a rainbow flick, right? If he wants to do a chapeau or a, a you know, a, a chip the keeper, uh, you know, whatever he wants to do that's in his locker, he can pull it out. And maybe he will thrive because of that, because of the freedom for some of the flair in his game to be displayed. You know, and, and look, I, this is armchair psychology. So maybe he always felt that freedom, even at City. It's not like he was bad at City, but your level can go up sometimes by feeling like you can show the full, uh, your full arsenal, all, all the tools in your tool belt. And Clive, you said it on the instant reaction, but it's true. Like that finish, that sends a message. That's impudent. That's arrogant. That's I'm better than you. I'm going to embarrass you. And, and by the way, it's also efficient. It was the right finish, right? You got a big keeper who can spread wide. He's come out. He's closed the distance. So the only way around is over. And um, he goes over him. It's, it's a lovely finish, and like, it's not the only thing he did in the game. He was obviously very influential again, but it, at the end of the day, it will be that stuff that makes this transfer a success, right? Because we're not, we can't spend another season talking about, well, the linking and pressing from our striker is really good. It's got to be this stuff. He, you know, Chelsea gift you possession, first-time pass to the striker who's in, boom, over the keeper, done. And... um. You know, that that's what he's been brought in to do, and it looks like he is very, very ready to do it if preseason is any judge. 
Yeah, there's, there's playing ability and there's influence. And I look at his influence and, yeah. and it's massive. Much like Saliba, he's, he has a defensive influence and presence. And um, there was something, and Tim may have seen his quote, so I may be paraphrasing incorrectly, but there's some quote from his mother saying that basically she, she can see his son, her son again playing with some joy, with a smile on his face again. And that's been lost a little bit. And I thought that was quite instructive. I look at his influence from uh, how other defenders play against him. And that goal, if you're a goalkeeper, we're about to play in August and September, you're thinking, what's he going to do when he's one-on-one with me? Because I'm not sure anymore. Do you know what I mean? And that freezes you. His influence on the off-the-ball side of things, Elliot, the pressing side of things, is massive. In fact, if I ever worry, the way he throws himself into tackles is just, like, unbelievable. The commitment levels are off the scale. And because of that, the influence of Martinelli, I mean, when you see this game properly, I'm telling you, mate, Martinelli was top. That's the best game I've seen him for a while. And if anything, his intensity was as good, if not better, than Jesus. His pace over medium to long distance was incredible. His desire, his secondary movements, unreal. On the goal where Jesus scored, I mean, you can rest between centre-backs. You can rest between centre-backs and full-backs. And the fact he's on the angle... When the ball gets transitioned, bang, into his feet, gone. He repositions himself in a position that makes you, where's he gone now? You know, he doesn't stand always down the middle. You know, you're centre forward, down the middle. Rubbish. You can be found easily. You can be kicked from behind. He's on the angle, receives it on the angle, and he either takes it or chops back. And I've said on the podcast previously, that chopping and changing of angles is a form of physicality. A form of physicality that suits a five foot nine, five foot ten, muscular, low centre of gravity, quick chopping wing forward, wing centre forward, and that's what he is. And by the way he positions himself to receive the ball allows his super strength to then come out. And he's a smart lad. He's not just a talented footballer. He is a smart lad who does not want to be the superstar, but wants to lead by example. And he's taken on the mantle of leading the group from the front. He's like the first one over. I'm going over. You're coming. Do you know what I mean? And uh, that gives everyone else so much confidence, you know, to to play, to play through, to get it to him, to get to his attacking counterparts. It's it's very interesting. And I know it's preseason, but I don't care what this sounds like. I really don't. Because mm. what we're seeing here <clears throat> is things that can be repeated and things that are, I'm finding very exciting, right? So, and... Come the first game, yeah, let's see. But I think we're going to repeat it. You know, I really do. And um, if this, if that team goes out in the first game, I can't wait for it. I really can't wait for it. And again, now, I, yeah, yeah, please, Tim. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just wanted to add one, another one of the reasons I think this will be great for Martinelli is because all the stuff Clive's talking about there about Jesus being punchy and pressing and stuff like that. All of a sudden, Martinelli um, is going to be like, shit, I'm not the hardest running, hardest working forward here anymore. Mm. So, it, you know, it brings that level up again. And it just reminds me of, um, for those of you who suffered through it, who are patrons, I did like a long ramble on culture about a month ago based on an interview I'd listened to with Rio Ferdinand. And Rio Ferdinand said something like, you know, at West Ham and at Leeds, I came back early pre-season. I was the best professional in the squad. And then he said, I went to Man United, came back two, two weeks early for pre-season. Nicky Butt was already there. The Nevilles were there. Skulls was there. Beckham was there, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, practicing his free kicks. And he thought, oh, shit. The, the, like, what I was doing at my previous clubs, I was the 
best professional in the squad. I come here and everyone's doing that. So it set a new baseline. Yeah. And he was like, shit, like everything I thought was going above and beyond is just the level here. And that's why I think on Martinelli in particular, this is going to be great, this kind of partnership, because it's going to be like, oh shit, like I'm no longer the the what like when I'm when I'm next to Lacazette, I, I look like fucking roadrunner. <laughs> but next to Jesus, not so much. I've- yeah, yeah, just to add, I mean, we probably will feed into the Edu interview, but to add on to Tim's point, which is wonderful, what have we signed this year? We've signed mentality, haven't we? That's what we've done. We've signed people with a mentality and a commitment level that understand about winning and not just winning, recent winning. You know, you can say if Jesus was a success in Man City or not, but I think he's got four Premier Leagues, right? So, and he was part of every one of them. So, and there's a standard and a level there that we need to aspire to. And, he, and he's bringing it, right? So now the door's been opened. How did you do it? What's it like on this moment? When we go to Newcastle away next year in the month of April, how do you cope with these games? You know, it's, it's all going to permeate through, right? And I think it's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, well, the, the only thing I'll say is the the mentality, obviously important, but you know my, my caveat will always be that the, the mentality is nothing without the talent, right? Like, Willian had won the Champions League. Willian had won the Premier League. Like, you, you have to be bringing the talent. You have to be at the right stage of your career to prove something. So I think we've we've gotten it right because we've brought in players who have a winning pedigree, but who are also still hungry to prove something, still ready to go be killers in their career and and have the, the, the skill set to do it. There's other performances, though, Clive, that I think you know stand out in this game and some really good goals. Um, Bukayo Saka scores a goal that comes from a really interesting move and like a number of good little shot, you know, shots. At, I mean, Martinelli takes a good shot in that move. Granite Shaka volleys it over a defender and then volleys it with his right foot in, you know, what what's probably into the the corner of the net if it isn't Mendy and goal, and then Saka roofs it from there. Um, some people think he might have been offside. There's a still shot, just so you know, and can feel good about the goal, that it looks like he was level, but who cares? It counts. It's preseason, whatever. Um, you know, the Granite Shaka thing is an interesting one. We, we've talked about it so, so often as a position of need to upgrade. I still think adding certain characteristics in that position can improve us, but he deserves credit for this game. I thought he was quite good. Um, you know, and, and I think, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's too, it's too reductive and obvious to say, well, Jesus's arrival means that he's going to look bad. I, I don't know. But right now, you know, he looks like he's adding some things in that position and maybe some of it too is down to the fact that he was sort of slotted into that position in the middle of the season last season. Now he's had half a season under his belt of playing it and a preseason to really work on it. And, you know, we, we may see him add a few features to his game playing there. Um, given that he's had more time, but whether or not I think that's the solution there, and I think people sort of know that I'd, I'd still like to find another one. And to be fair, Mikel has talked about Smith Rowe and he's talked about Vieira. There's also rumors of additional transfer moves, but for the time being, he's the player in that position and he's showing in preseason that he still has a lot to offer there. Yeah. One of the reasons why he's here is his mentality, right? His mentality is supposedly strong. And I'm not done with the talent and mentality thing yet, Elliot. I think if you look at, to quote Amy Lawrence, um, Arsenal are sometimes paralysed by opportunity. And we have to get over that hump. Because the last two, three years, we've had some opportunities and we have we have gone cold at the critical moment. Villarreal, nil-nil at home. Newcastle, Spurs, Brighton, Palace. 
Southampton. You know, we've got we've got talent, but if you haven't got the mentality to overcome those hurdles, it ain't it ain't gonna work, right? They are they coexist, and we needed to add more mentality and talent. So for me, they coexist, and when we get over those hurdles, we'll re- we'll see it. When Man City were losing to Villa last game of the season at home in front of the whole nation, Liverpool about to steal their title. Talent helped, but mentality helped too. I think it's something that's really a miss for us. And the reason why you said some wonderful things on the on the interaction all the other day about about Shaka and sometimes the comfort of having somebody there when it when it's getting scary, you know what? Chris will pay us away. Pick Granite Shaka because we because we need him. I think if we have more mentality monsters around, then maybe the talent discussion will come up a little bit more. And we will say, has he got the right talent rather than we need his mentality for this day, for this young group? And I think the development... So in other words, can can I just sort of restate that? Like, So basically you're saying like, if we have a team of players where we really trust that they have the right mindset, the right mentality, the, the, the character for the big moments, then taking a Shaka, for example, out of the team doesn't feel as risky because you know you have that 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 structure of others have character it. in the team. Yeah. yeah, yeah that others, others have that mentality, have that character. Yeah. So we're building Ben White. We've, we're just learning about Saliba. We, we're just building Gabriel, hopefully we'll sign a new contract. Right? We know, we're learning about Tommy As. He's still 21, 22. You know, Ramsdale flickered towards the end of last season, started to throw a couple in. Right? He needed a rest. So they've got character, they've got something, but it's not built yet. So until it's built, until the roof's on, we need a granite shaka. But the more people like Shinshenko that comes along, the more people like Jesus that come along, Saka's looking and thinking, oh, I want some of this. And Gabriel Jesus, as, as Tim's already said, is literally about to come out of the gun, right, and just go. Right? So the need, I still feel there's one or two more to add. But I, I, I want to get to the point where we don't feel what you said the other day, that we, we have to pick a name through comfort, but at the moment, we're still building this group. We're still young. We've lost Lacazette. If anything, we've got younger. You look at our average age. We've probably got younger. You know, Pablo Marie goes. You know, we we can get. We might even be younger than last year as a whole. You know, and um, and so yeah, I think this is a really interesting scenario. But it will happen, right? We haven't got to stress about it. It will happen when the moment's right. Yeah. It, it will be forced by injury or forced by something. It will happen, but the team has to be ready to accept the when Granite Shackers and those types need to step away, they have to be ready to take on that mentality burden as well. Yeah, that, that's well said. And and before we finish with this game, Tim, there's a couple of goals in here that I think are, are significant only because they're players that I really have my eye on for this coming season. One is Odegaard and one is Sambi Lakanga. Obviously, I have our eye on them for different reasons. Odegaard, because I think there is another level his game can and needs to go up. And it's principally adding goal scoring threat, you know, being an active part of getting in the box and scoring goals. And then Sambi, because I think we sort of forgot him a little. You know, he came in as a, as a central midfielder in a double pivot, played okay, had a couple of nightmares in big games, you know, in particular at Anfield, which, let's face it, anyone can have a nightmare there, um, in the second half in particular. And we sort of lost him. And it looks like now he's being thought of as more of that role that Shaka's playing, that left eight, not so much heir apparent to party as heir apparent to maybe a Shaka, along with other possible players there that we've mentioned. Um, and I have my eye on him because I think we've sort of, a lot of people have written him off based on just sort of falling out of the squad in the second half of last season or maybe not looking as confident as he could. But 
I think it's too soon. So these are two goals that are relevant to me because they're two players I'm looking at. Let's start with the Odegaard one. That is the run we want him to make and the finish we want him to make. He cuts across the back line. He goes around the center backs. You know, there is going to be, I think, a freedom in that front five this season to, to swap positions and move around. Martinelli finds him, and it's a very instinctive finish to the far corner. I, I, I think we need Odegaard to do more of this. And so seeing him do that is a, a nice early indication that maybe that message is being received. Yeah, 100%. And the, the first thing to say is that is absolutely his responsibility. Yep. Um, and, and again, like I, I feel more comfortable being... Um, being expectant and maybe a little harsh with the players who I think are super talented. Nerdguard's one of them. I think he showed us that last season. I think he had a really, really strong season last season, but there's more and, you know, we need to find it. And I'm certain he knows that. And that scoring goals piece, that's a big part of it. Again, not to return to a theme, I think that's going to be easier for him to do with a centre forward that moves. Um, but also not just that, but, you know, Lacazette, one of the reasons Lacazette wasn't really suited to that number nine piece is because he doesn't attack the six-yard box. He wants to attack the penalty spot. He wants to be in that second line, not the first line. Jesus wants to be in the first line. Like His goals are typically close-range, six-yard box stuff. And that means that you can have the secondary run to the penalty spot. And that's where we've seen Odegaard score from before. And that's where he scores from roughly in this game. And And again, that's just easier to do when you've got a more fluid attack. But as well as that, even given that we should have seen more from him in front of goal last season. But, you know, the, the signs are cautiously good at the moment. He scored against Everton last game of last season from a similar angle, scores in this game. Um, obviously, we need we need to see it more. That's not going to do. And let's face it, the Everton game at the end of last season, as a plane flies over my head, um, that was basically a pre-season friendly as well. Um, so, you know, we, we need to see this, you know, in, in other competitive games, yeah. definitely. The, the Sambi piece, I'm, I'm really, really interested in. I, I, heard yeah, Ar, I heard Arteta talk about this and he said, you know, we're trying to find the role that's more comfortable for him. And I mean, in a way, it would be much better for him in terms of a pathway into the team if he could be that party back up. But that's a bit of a unicorn role, and particularly for a young player. Like, even Party wasn't playing that role at Atletico Madrid. He's playing it now because he's like 28, 29 years old. And, and he's another one, by the way, who we talk about, you know, we talk about Gabriel Jesus being like a leader of this team. Party wasn't like the leader at Atleti, but he's come to Arsenal, and it's like, right, this midfield is built around you now. You're not one of a number. You're the main guy. That's a very difficult role for anyone to take, let alone a young developing player. I do think the left eight is better for Sambi. There is a bit more traffic there, though. Um, but I do think his qualities are more suited in terms of carrying and things like that. And this is, again, you know, this is only one goal in a preseason friendly when we're already 3 0 up. So I'm not going to over index it. But if he can attack that back post and, you know, pick up a couple of goals a season doing that fantastic but really what I'd look for him look for from him for this role when you're a young player trying to plot your path into a team I mean don't get me wrong most of it is about where's there a space but also it's about what are the qualities I have that are not already in this team and that's how Iwobi got so many games for Arsenal Iwobi wasn't elite he just had things that other players didn't and that that can be very very critical in terms of getting a young player in 
And and if I was Sambi, that's what I would be concentrating on. I'd be saying, okay, I'm the I'm probably the best yeah. ball carrier in this midfield rotation. So I, I need to go for that and I need to show that I can really bring that to the team. It is interesting because you then suddenly look at a group where like Shaka can play there, Sambi can play there. If we want different qualities, Smith Rowe and Vieira can play there. Bukayo Saka can play there. Um, you know who no one can play is the party role other than Thomas party. And like, again, there are injuries, there are absences that if they hit you, you can't replace them. You shouldn't worry about it because ultimately they, they, there are single points of failure in even the best teams. If Real Madrid don't have Kareem Benzema, they don't win the champions league. Hell, they probably don't even win La Liga. So I, I think it's okay to have those issues, but as we develop more and more of our central midfielders to be eights, we don't have any central midfielders, Clive. Yeah, I think you are forgetting Mohamed El Nini, who I think signed a contract to be mm. the, the other six. And he, okay, he can't do it the same as Thomas Park. I often th- forget Mohamed El Nini. To be fair, <laughs> Thomas, it's, he, it's he, a quality of the way he plays football. <laughs> if you think the first midfield is Party Shaka Odegaard, the second midfield is shaping up to be El Nini, Sambi, potentially Vieira. Right, so that mm. could be Europa League midfield. That's going to be interesting to watch to see how that goes. Right, so I think El Nenny does the role with the level of seniority that Zambi hasn't got yet. Zambi will develop into that player, but doesn't have to do it now. Right, he doesn't have to do it now in the critical moments. I think we learned that last season. So I'll give him a go where he is at the at the eight, and then he comes in. I I do think obviously the way Pi plays, it's just very hard to replicate, right? Because he, he he's very very good. But there are other yep. ways you can exit. Sometimes you can miss that guy and go past, and he and he has a different role, gets it on the second phase. So it's not just about stick on. You play the same way when you replace a player. You can exit down the sides, for example, and just go a different way around because Pi is just very 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 good, right? And so the risk is just higher without any. That's all. Yeah. All right. Well, that's actually a really good point and well said. So, Clive, I'll leave it to you to pick any other bones out of this. I mean, Nicola Pepe played. I don't think he was great. Um, there's news. I mean, on his Instagram, he posted a thing, you know, like I, I've changed my attitude. I'm working harder. You're saying along those lines, I'm, I want to help my teammates. I mean, I I am in the minority of people who probably doesn't think it would be the worst thing if Pepe stays because if we aren't going to get another attacker, and I don't think it's a given that we are, and if we aren't going to get a fee that's decent for the guy, then having that caliber of player available, whether or not he reaches the level we'd like, I don't think it's a bad thing. I know some people would disagree with that, and and, and maybe it's worthless. But he he might he might be here to stay another season. I mean, heck, he might be here to play out his contract because he's on good wages. He's not going to get elsewhere. So we'll see. Um, you know, there's there's bits and pieces around the squad. I mean, obviously, we should point out that that, that great Sambi header is from a Cedric cross. So kudos to Cedric. It is uh, his superpower, not just his superpower. It's kind of like, you know, that X Men guy who has the laser eyes. You know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, he we take the his goggles. glasses off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his, like laser shit. Yeah, it's a nice. So he has the goggles yeah. that like help him focus the lasers. But if he takes the goggles off, the lasers just shoot all the time. <laughs> That's like Cedric with crossing. Like, like he just does it all the time and he can't control. And like, it's very powerful and it can be very good, but he also has no control over it whatsoever. And every time the ball hits his foot, he has to cross it. It's fine. Um, uh, I'm mad at myself, by the way, as a former X-Men fan for not being able to think of a very prominent um, X-Men character. So you can yell at me in the comments to this for that. They will. Uh, let, let, 
They will. They will. It's okay. There's more time to talk about this, but we got to get to the ADU interview. So, oh, I want you. I'll you, 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 you asked me. Yeah. Well, you yeah. asked me the question, and then sort of answered it. Classic Elliot style. Yeah, I, I felt like I handled it so well that then I didn't need your, your input. Let me just give, please, please, please give I, it a shot. See what well, you can do. I've got words at the end of my, at the end of my tongue. So just quick on the Pepe right, thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just words. The, Use on, the words. Use your words. <laughs> on the Pepe thing. Yeah, talent's not an issue. Application and maybe fit and maybe uh, how he feels in the group has been an issue. There's been times when talent has been really good and times when it hasn't. But I thought it was quite interesting, the performance of Marquinhos in this game. And and he came on, and he did a couple of decent things. And he plays our way. He definitely does. He gets it out of that hole. When it comes into that side, if you watch the way Saka does it, he, he doesn't stop it. He comes out. So he comes off the sides of like bounce boards, and you come out of there with intensity and dribble and carry your pass. Sometimes Pepe stops it, and he awaits, and the runs have gone past him. Got to get it out of there quicker. Marquinhos does it. He also posts up very well. There was one clip where he protected the ball, and Odegaard came over and high-fived him. And I just thought, has he done enough this preseason for us to say, you know what, I'm keeping Pepe around for another year to allow this kid to cook quietly in the background and they share some minutes in some of these games rather than loan him. And Pepe provides a level of air cover and care for this young player that potentially could be something in about a year's time rather than send him out. Just as just a thought process, given what we read on Pepe's Instagram, no, nothing, nothing sure. Just a thought I had this morning. Yeah, that's no, a good one. Um, Cyclops is the character, so there you go. Well, look, I mean, there's some more that may be added to the squad. There's some more that may be trimmed off of the squad. Um, we're gonna have to find that out. But I think it's also fair and obvious to say that there's something that should be trimmed off you, and it's the hair around your privates. Just needs to go. If you've got a, a, an issue down there, if you have a, a grooming situation, there's a couple of things. You can just let it grow. And like, if that's your look and that's what you want to do, you can. I think that's going to make it hard uh, like for me to wear my Speedo bathing suit at the beach. Can't have that. Um, and just generally in the summer, I think unpleasant. You know, can you imagine those Arsenal players trying to run around in Orlando in the summer if they weren't sh- uh, shorn <clears throat> in that area? So, you know, I think you need to do that. We know you need to do that. And we know that the way you do that is with the Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped. Look, if you are grooming right now and you're not using the Lawnmower 4.0, odds are you are using some razor that has been in your shower for ages or you're using some other tool that isn't purpose-built. You've probably developed some kind of unpleasant rash or hurt yourself down there, and I don't want to judge you know, your situation, but there's no need to do that. You can use promo code ARSENALVISION and save 20% off at manscaped.com and get worldwide free shipping, and here's what you can get. You can get the Performance Package 4.0. The Performance Package 4.0 gets the Lawnmower 4.0, which we've talked about at length as the purpose-built product for grooming, below-the-waist grooming in particular, but all over grooming. It's got ceramic blades and skin-safe technology and LED light, long battery life, and it works wet, dry, even has an um, induction charging cradle, which is great. So that's great. You're also going to get things like the Weed Whacker for nose and ear hair. I am at the official age of nose and ear hair trimming, so that's very, very important. Uh, deodorants and uh, tonics and toners for the downstairs area which actually are quite nice and, and do make that area a lot better, I think. You're also going to get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the absolute great chafing-reducing Manscaped boxers. So go for it. Do it now. Get this stuff at manscaped.com. Use promo code ArsenalVision. Get 20% off and free shipping. That's 20% off and free shipping. Do it now. Okay, I got to read this part. It says this is required. It's time to level up from the Amazon 
to the Amadong. Like I said, I don't want to read it. It says must read. You know, I'll have that debate offline. Now, uh, once you are all groomed to perfection, you are ready to groom your business. And the way you groom your business is by finding the right talent. And the way you find the right talent is with Indeed, the hiring platform where you attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. And look, if you've been on the other sites, and I'm not going to mention them, they stink. You're constantly posting. You're constantly checking. You don't really know if the company's interested in you, if you're interested in them. Um, the companies don't know if they're finding the right talent and they're paying regardless with Indeed. It's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. It is a really tricky talent market. Um, to be fair, it's a good time to be looking for a job. Not a great time to be hiring because it's hard. It's hard to find the right talent because there's there's a lot of jobs that are that are snapping people up. And one way you can find the right talent is by interviewing virtually and making life a lot easier. So with Indeed's virtual interviews, you can save time. You can message, schedule, interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. Makes it easy to connect with your applicants. No need to install anything extra. Works right from your browser. And after using it, most employers said it saved them days of hiring time according to Indeed data. So Join the 3 million businesses, more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Here's what you can do. Sign up for Indeed now and get a $75 credit towards your first sponsored job. Plus, earn up to $500 extra in sponsored job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to learn more. Claim your credits at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms of good apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed, Clive? Is that enough of that? Indeed. Well done. Okay. We, we could do another hour just on the Chelsea game because it's preseason and it's that important as Tim would uh, let you know, but we got to do at least some time on the Adu interview. There are a lot of places you can read it. I happen to read a very long one by James McNicholas in the athletic, a lot of very candid quotes. Um, Tim, let's, let's start high level and just your thoughts on the interview overall. I mean, let's be clear. He's pitching the project and he's pitching the job he's doing defending his record and talking about the future, but there's a lot of candid stuff in here. So at a very high level, how do you view the interview and the sort of attitude that he expresses and, and ideas that he shares? Because I thought he was at least reasonably candid. Yeah, he was quite candid. And, um, you know, a lot of it's stuff we've talked about on this podcast for the last two years, and that I think a lot of people have worked out anyway, like selling old players who aren't performing is not easy and a bad position to be in. Um, and the, the kind of impression I got from the interview was that his kind of pitch, and obviously it's very pitchy, you know, because he's he, he's like a suit now, and I, and I don't I don't say that like in a derogatory way, but um, you know that that's he Ed, Edu did like um, a lot of time at like actual corporate organisations outside of football um, because he wanted to learn how to do this stuff uh, before he joined Brazil, and so. You know, a lot, a lot of it's in, in that kind of realm. But the impression I got was that some of his messaging was like, look, this is this should be the last summer where we're really, you know, where we've got like a, a garage sale on, like a boot sale <laughs> of players that we're trying to shift. And from now on, it should get easier because the level comes up, the age comes down. You know, look at uh, the thing I find really interesting is that the it looks like the most attractive player Arsenal have up for sale is Nuno Tavares because he's 22 and because there's some raw material. So he might not be the right player for us, but he looks like he's easier to move on. Genduzi was easier to move on. Mavropanos was easier to move on. You can move these players fairly easily. Um, and so if, for example, Sambi Lokonga doesn't make it, 
that doesn't look to me like it would be a difficult sale to do. There, there are some things I guess I take issue with. Um, and sorry, so some of the stuff he was candid about was like he talked about the characters and he said, like, look, when I t- came into this role, there were too many players who were just, he, he, like he said very candidly, you know, Arsenal, London, nice house, nice lifestyle, big salary, difficult to move. And I think we, we know who he was talking about um, in there. Um, but the, the thing, I guess the thing I took the most issue with was his kind of rebranding of the sacking of Unai Emery as some kind of quick, brutal move. Now, I know that was at the beginning of the time that he took the role, and I know that he wasn't responsible for the Emery appointment and all of that, but he kind of re-pitches it as this, oh, everyone was telling us to wait till the end of the season. No, they weren't. Like, it was long, it was drawn out, it was bad, and it should have happened a lot, lot earlier. So please don't give me the sales pitch about how quickly and brutally everyone acted with Unai Emery. And look, we know there were other characters, um, you know, redacted um, in the background who were driving some of that at the time. But, you know, a, a lot of it is him almost, like he really hitches himself to the Arteta wagon here and almost kind of says, that's the point where this project all really starts. And to a large extent, that's true. But at the same time, we cannot completely dismiss and airbrush some of the stuff that came before that. And actually, James McNicholas in the Athletic article does ask him about Willian, does ask him about David Luiz and kind of says, well, how did these yeah. guys fit into this strategy you're talking about? And so, yeah, it, it, it was sales pitchy and a lot of it's stuff we've kind of worked out for ourselves. But you're right, like, there's quite a lot of candor in there that makes it very interesting. Yeah, there's there's some stuff in here I really like. The irony is like he says something that really speaks to me because I've talked about this a lot. And I think opportunity cost is a concept that's, I don't, saying poorly understood sounds condescending. I think not discussed enough in terms of football. Like when you sign one player blocking another, or when you, you know, um, when you don't sell a player, is there an opportunity cost to what you could do with the money and so on and so forth. But he, he talks about it in the context of changing a manager. Of course, I'm joking, but I said, no, no, we will be fine. But if you have already diagnosed it's not our plan, change as soon as possible. In football, sometimes the decision has to be made quickly. It hurts, it's challenging, but it has to be done. And I think that's right. Once you realize something is not the solution, you have to make the decision to change quickly because at that point, there's an opportunity cost to waiting. Um, and I, but, but the interesting thing is on the Willian front, he says, so, so I'm going to do this backwards. When he talks about cleaning the squad, He says, there are three elements in my role. I have to be really prepared to be strong on the message for the players. When the player is 26 plus, big salary, and he's not performing, he's killing you, that kind of player, because you don't have a valuation to sell the player. The player is comfortable. How do you move this player? But then the irony is, prior to that, he said, with respect to William and David Louise, David Louise and William were players we considered at that moment the players to help us a bit to maintain the short term, the good level. Um, right or wrong, that was the idea because I say, Willian, free, wow, right? Well, we know he wasn't free. He was on a big contract and he's exactly the kind of player he describes later. 26 plus, big salary, not performing. How do you move this player? To be fair, all of this stuff only matters when they're not performing. When they are performing, no one looks back, no one compares it. Um, you know, again, on on struggling to get fees for departing players, I think one of the things he says that he's really right about, right, is when they're performing, it never matters. But he says, this is on selling, on um, paying players to leave. I'm sorry if you have to pay to leave is better because the guy is sometimes also blocking someone. 
I know it hurts. I know it's strange when I go to the board and say, sometimes it's better to pay a player to leave than maintain a player, but I consider it an investment. Sometimes people say it's expensive. I say, no, it's investment. But someone will pay if you sell. No, guys, if the player is above 26, 27, and not performing big salary, no chance. And I point this out because how many times have we had arguments where we said, oh, he's old to be buying, and people say, old, what are you talking about? I think Adu is hitting on the critical point here. Players are assets to the club. And if they are over that 26, 27 threshold that he's discussing, and they're not performing, and they're on a big salary, they're squatters. They're there to stay. They're not going anywhere. And I like that he's sort of found that point. And it, it is a point that, you know, sometimes they say, don't tell me, show me. Well, his actions show us that. Look at the age range of the players we're buying. Look at the levels. You know, even if we're paying expensive fees and giving big wages to guys like Jesus, or we're taking, you know, more of a punt on a guy like Vieira, the ranges are 22, 23, 24, 25. The ranges are pre-prime. The ranges are ready to burst. And that's why, to Tim's point, a player like Nuno Tavares, who has, or Tavares, who has um, some flaws in his game, has enough positive attributes, is young, isn't on a huge wage, can still uh, move. So there's a lot in there. Clive, I mean, that's the thing that I really liked hearing about was his philosophy behind squad building. And I like hearing his understanding of opportunity cost and you know, where the value is, because that's really what he's principally responsible for. I'm curious if that's a big component of what you picked up on, or if there there was something more that spoke to you. Yeah, there's, there's lots of things. You've explained that well, so no need to go back over it. But um, I, I thank you. I think there was a moment in this project when they turned, <clears throat> excuse me, when they turned the page, when authority and upward management started, when they said, we're doing this wrong, we're getting burned. We got people around enjoying themselves, buying houses in Dubai. Remember that statement, the squatter statement? We could see it, we could all see it, and this has been confirmed. And so for me, I'm I'm looking, I'm gonna go up a level from from Tim's summary, really, because he did so well there. What's happening at Arsenal consistently? And I didn't I said in the chat, I don't like the word pitch, but then you and Tim said the word pitch about 10 times, right? Just to wind me up. <laughs> what did you think of his pitch generally, though? The pitch that he made. Did you like that pitch? <laughs> I don't like the word pitch. I, I prefer the word transparency. Right? So what's happening at the moment? We've got an Amazon documentary coming out. Transparency. We've got a Hale-End documentary coming out. Transparency. We have this coming out about the project. Transparency. We've empowered a manager, signed to a new contract, so he's now the most important person in the room, which means we can attract the players we want to attract. Transparency about the model. Transparency about what we're doing. Transparency about what how we're playing. And that means you can attract people again. Back to one of my first quotes when I first joined this podcast. You need to be the place where people want to be. If you haven't got something that you can pick up in your hands and sell, what are you standing for? Look at Manchester United last season. What do they stand for? They have struggled in the buying market. Why? Because people are not convinced about what their model yet. They've got work to do, housekeeping to do. What do they stand for at the moment? It's to be defined. We've had a couple of struggles over the last year or so. We've, we've gone a little bit in peaks and troughs, but I think we can all see what we're standing for. If we can see what we're standing for, then other people, talented people in the elite professional world, will come and join. You're not getting Gabriel Jesus unless he understands what the project is. I'm sorry, you're just not getting it. Right? We are competing Real Madrid, Chelsea. Okay, we may have tapped him sooner, and we, we had some advantages in the marketplace here. 
but he knows what his role was. He knows what we're standing for. So transparency is what I, is the word I prefer. But with transparency, as a fan group, what I think we're actually doing here, and I'm, Elliot, I need your help here because you're a bit more corporate in this regard, but I actually think we're weaponizing something, and that's us. We are an incredible fan base, right, particularly online. We are massive. We are global. We are huge. And by being transparent, you almost bring the fans closer and create something stronger. You, you're saying, we're connecting to you. We're showing you our dirty washing. We are showing you everything about this club, top to bottom, from the strategic strategy to the football strategy to the youth strategy to the people strategy. This is what we're doing. And, and this is where we have a role to play because we all feel more connected than we did a year ago. So how has that happened? Because mm-hmm. of what we're seeing, the transparency about what we're seeing. So that connection to make us the true 12th man is what I think the strategy is to absolutely weaponize the one of the things that have actually been used against us because we've been defined by division in recent years, in the Wenger years. They said, no, enough. Connect to the fans. All our strategies of pitch, connection, connection, connection. Show we're connected to the fans. Use the power of the massive global fan base to help bring this project along. So that's my yeah. reason for not liking the word pitch. It's just a slightly different angle on it, Elliot, to be honest. No, that's fair because it's it's not just Elliot that's giving interviews, by the way. I mean, Josh and Stan gave some interviews, um, you know, where they attempted to be a little bit candid and whether they were or not, you know, most of the people who were in the room with them came away with the sense that they really are committed to winning. And I, yeah. I still believe show me, don't tell me because who's going to say, you know, we're not super committed to winning we kind of want to do some dumb things, some things that don't work and then fail if possible. Like no one's going to say that. Right. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, go ahead. Clive. Well, it's not, it's not, um, I don't want to go Kool-Aid. Right. But last two summers we spent more than anybody else. Right. So some of that is because we've been dumb. Right. So we've had to, we've had to replenish and that's going to continue. We all, we all feel right. And something that Edu said, and if Tim, you said it, and I missed it. Apologies. But I think in one of the interviews I read, they said, are you focused on the Champions League? And he sort of said, well, no, we're focused on improvement. A classic corporate statement. We're focused on improvement and being better. And if we get better the way we want to, then we'll challenge for the big prizes. Right? Paraphrase, paraphrase. And I like that. Mission statement is, let's just, let's just get bleeding good. Let's just get good. Let's create the right culture. Let's get the right people, the right ages, the right talent, and get them on board. And if we do that correctly, then everything else beneath that, will come. We want top four. We, yeah. want, we, want, we want the, the absolute. They're up here. They're up here and they're creating a mission. They're creating a culture. They're creating a strategy. If you do that right, you're going to get what you need. Do you know what I mean? That's all I want to say there. I do. And and to be fair to your point, Clive, about transparency and weaponizing the fan base, weaponizing maybe has a a pejorative connotation. So, you know, sort of activating the fan base or engaging the fan base to be, you know, a a positive uh, influence in the reputation of the club and the, the, the external view of the club. But I think this is why candor helps. The more tight-lipped you are, the more you keep things close to the vest, the less information the fans have, the more you close the gap with what? Assumption, right? And you don't control assumption. And that assumption is going to be governed mostly by where you are in the table. So if you're eighth or even fifth and you don't give information, then the assumptions are largely going to be negative. And oh, by the way, it also leaves room for the tabloid papers and the clickbait articles to come out and be, you know, and really sink their teeth into you. The more candor there is and the more that you see behind the scenes and see the work being done, you may like it, you may not like it, but it's less assumption and more information. And the more that gap is filled in by information, the better 
I think it is for the fans to be able to put their trust in the club, right? And not be victim to assumption. Um, you know, if you believe the information you're being given to your point about achieving things, I mean, he did say, um, when asked about the timeline by James, I give the club a five-year plan. I said to Mikel and the board, guys, 2022-23 will be our season. We're going to be much better. So, I mean, he he's laying it out there that this is a season where they expect to be better, and and I think the moves reflect that, and there may be more moves that need to be done. Um, you know, we talked about uh, Arteta's contract, and I think one of the reasons they wanted to get the contract done was for the market. And, you know, he says it was part of the plan as well because we had discussion where we said, okay, now we're going to face a transfer window and you want to be a club like Arsenal and for people to see us as organized, well-planned, our manager has to be renewed because the agents and the players can say, okay, what's happening there? One year, six months, a three-year contract? We say, no, 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 he's our coach. He's our manager. He's going to be here with us for a minimum of three years. That's how to avoid doubts when you go to sign a player. So I do think, Tim, that that is compelling, right? That, that, you go into the market, you want your brand in the market to be as strong as possible. And the manager is the biggest part of your brand when it comes to signing a new player. And so it has to not be seen as, you know, transitory, as, as, as ephemeral. You know, it has to be seen as, as being a locked-in part of the time that the player is going to be there. So I think that made a lot of sense to me. And I look, there are things in here that I do think are somewhat self-serving is harsh, but I, the words are escaping me right now to, to explain it another way. I think some of the stuff on the past, but some of the stuff on the future is really good. Um, you know, on, on the, the difficulty getting fees for players and needing to move them on to invest in the future and clear the way for other players, um, that this was going to be a difficult transition to make. I, I think one of the things that really stands out, um, you know, is that he talked about, like 80% of the squad being, you know, being these players who were 26 plus big salary, not performing. And you can't clear that all out at once. And that clear out had to happen to pave the way for the project. So I think he does a nice job explaining that Tim of making room in the wage bill of getting rid of the players that were old and not performing. And that, you know, because there wasn't a market for them, it, it was going to be difficult. We use the word blow it up a lot on the podcast. I sometimes said it was a tear down rebuild. He, he sort of references it that way. And I, I think, like I said, show me, don't tell me, but he's saying what he thinks we need to do. And I think the moves we've made in the last couple of summer windows reflect that ideology, that philosophy. Yeah, because there, there's two sides to the messaging, right? There's the messaging for fans. I still think with fans, it, it's almost exclusively show me, don't tell me. And don't get me wrong, there is a value to this and lots of people will be reading this interview and stuff like that. I, I, I bet though that most people are reading this and they don't pick up anything they hadn't already worked out. That's the strength in like your communication with your fans. Your fans live and breathe the club every second. They know what's going on. And um, I'll, I'll give you like, and th and that's why so many people had a pop at Gary Neville last summer when he said, "I can't see the strategy." I, forgive, forgive me, I might be wrong about this. I don't think anyone said at Arsenal last summer, "This is who we're signing and why we're doing it." It was just so obvious. Like everyone was under twenty four. 
you know, it, it's really obvious what we were doing. I don't, I don't remember. Maybe they did, and it was just so obvious that I forgot. But I don't think anyone sat the fans down and said, "Right, what we're doing here." By the way, it was just so obvious. And I'll, gi- I'll give you like two really strong examples of this: how your fans give you branding. Right, a club doesn't brand itself for its fans. The fans brands the club. I picked up. I was going through some old DVDs, uh, not those types of DVDs. Um, uh, yesterday and the 2003-2004 season review DVD is called The Untouchables it's not called The Invincibles because obviously they did it right after we'd won the league that year if they could have that time back they'd call it The Invincibles right no one called them The Untouchables so but who gave that name to the team the fans gave that name to the team the club didn't the club tried to brand the team in a different way but the fans didn't want that they wanted the term Invincibles that's, that's an interesting point. You, you know, by the way, they didn't call it World War One for decades later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. World yeah, War One. Well, yeah, you know, you know, because because there had to be a sec. Anyway, it, well, it's a bad joke. Bad it, joke. Exactly, exactly. But 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 also, <laughs> like, you look at stuff like the term "gooners," right? That comes from yeah. the fans. The club never, in fact, the club ignored that for years because it had hooligan connotations, which it no longer has, and now they take it on. So your your fan Project Youth, nobody, absolutely fucking nobody from Arsenal called it Project Youth. None of no one did. The fans called it that. We branded it. So a, a lot of this stuff, you know, the fans pick up themselves because we're not stupid and because we live and breathe the club every second. The other side of the messaging is for the players, though. And that's where I think this is really interesting. Edu talks a lot in this about talking to players, talking to players' families. He has an anecdote about going to Borussia Dortmund and talking to a player who only wanted to know about the money and the contract, and so he walked away. And and look, there might be a lot of detail missing from that. That might just mean that they didn't make an acceptable wage offer and the player said, no, it might not have been about the project at all. But when, he's ta- when he talks about getting Arteta on the contract, I think we can deduce from that that he's talking probably about Gabriel Jesus in particular um and it's you know look we signed two former Man City players this summer who've worked with Mikel Arteta and they were clearly keen to work with him again and that you know from an Arsenal fan perspective that has to be a positive thing right that that there are these two guys who wanted to come and work for him again um and and so I think when Edu talks in the interview about, you know, you've got to have the manager tied to the project and all of this. I mean, I don't know how important that was to Fabio Vieira, for example, or Marquinhos or Matt Turner. Uh, Maybe it was. I don't know. Um, Zinchenko, we kind of know, was second on the list. But nevertheless, it it was a transfer we were able to do quickly and we put ourselves in a position to do. So I, I do think there is a side, you know, other players don't live and breathe every second of this project and on analyzing it. So there is something about the messaging to play. Like I couldn't tell you what, I don't know, Atletico Madrid's current like strategy is or whatever. So if I was a player and I went to meet Atletico Madrid, they'd have to sit, sit me down and tell me. So I think there is a side to this about the communication with the players and what Edu said about his conversations with Gabriel Jesus and, and his family was really interesting. And by the way, you talked about Clive talked about something his mum said, Gabriel Jesus's mum is very, very important. Um, they're incredibly close. That that telephone celebration he does, that's based on a, a song in Brazil, and it's uh, the the phrase is "Alomai," which means "Hello, mum," and it, that that celebration is a direct tribute to his mother. 
um, because she's so important to him. So talking to Gabriel Jesus, like talking to any player's family is very, very important. But talking to Gab, like if Gabriel Jesus' mum is happy, we're on to something good, okay? So I, I do think that that's the other interesting side of it that perhaps we don't think about very much. Like when Edu pitches up somewhere and talks to this about people who aren't living and breathing Arsenal every second, that's that's more important. The fans will get it. And, you know, um, just to wrap this up, like when, you know, before kickoff and stuff and they're playing uh, The Angel by Lewis Dunford in Orlando and, Bal- and Baltimore and all these fans are singing it, you know, that's great. And And like, honestly like well done to the club for like trying to pick that up and run with it but where did that come from came from the fans or get totally organic kind of online sensation and the club did the right thing in that they saw okay the fans are interested in this so let's try and elevate it it wasn't it's not the wonder of you where they've just randomly picked a song and gone there you go maybe maybe you can make that into an anthem it came from the fans and that's that's very important as well well, and maybe what they've realized a little bit is it's so silly because you can engage the fans who love the club and will want to take the most charitable view if given the opportunity, who want to feel close to the club. You can engage them. You can talk to them. You can talk directly to them. You can engage with them on social media. You can engage with them in, in live events. You can engage with them through fan content, whatever. Or you can cozy up to three tabloid journalists and hope they'll be nice to you with their headlines. You know what I mean? And I feel like for decades, that was it. Like, have your, and again, this is no offense to journalists who ha, who do play an important role in the way media is done. And their job is not to be a mouthpiece of the club. Their job is to report the information, you know, hopefully accurately. But it's the point that if I'm the club and I want the most charitable view of what I'm doing, engage with the fans directly because they ha, they are invested in loving you and believing you, Clive. Yeah, I, I remember about a year or so ago, um, the athletic James, Amy, and I think David wrote, a big article on Arsenal and what we were trying to do or something. I can't remember the exact, but it was all about the Cronkies. It was top to bottom. And I remember listening to James on, on Andrew's podcast saying, we got a lot of stick for that. And because I thought it was a bit of a, a puff piece, right? And I just looked at it as information, right? So I wonder what the, I wonder what the reaction will be to this article. And I think it's going to be better. And the reason why, when it comes down to it, get a good football team on the pitch, right? If you've got a good football team on the pitch, then what they say upstairs has a different connotation, right? So we talked about, we were eulogizing over a preseason friendly and, and our 27 million pound center back who hasn't kicked a competitive ball for us yet after two, two, three years. Um, of it. And we're okay with it now because potentially he could sign, potentially he's a much better player. Potentially we can see the strategy. Good players allow you to, allow your message, your corporate message to be received appropriately. One of my big things at this moment in time is we have these things happening around transparency and the things, documentaries coming our way and articles coming our way. And I'm hoping for a level of maturity as we receive it. Because if we are mature about it and the football goes alongside, I know I'm stealing Arteta's words here, but this could really go bang. I spoke to a mate yesterday about getting going to, obviously I'm going to the Emirates Cup game. He said, I couldn't get a ticket. I couldn't get a ticket for the game, for 12.30 kickoff, for a Saturday friendly. I couldn't get a ticket. It's like, crikey, what's going on here? You know, people are not dumb. They're not dumb. I've got my calendar settings set up again for when the tickets come available because I want to be there a bit more because you, you feel different. 
you know? And um, so, yeah, I think we are really going to be, and thanks for correcting my words, Elliot, we're, we're going to be engaged in a slightly different way. And, and I think we have got a massive role to play as fans to really get us over the line where we want to get to. I really believe that. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, all of this could be replaced by just saying everybody's happy when you're winning and have good players and everybody's miserable when you're not. And like, if Adu puts this interview out two summers ago, you know, if, if, you know, we're having this conversation, like we're probably portraying it in a different way. But what's good is that what he's saying he understands in the interview, what he's saying needs to happen in the interview is borne out by what we are seeing in the behavior. Again, I thought he was least compelling when he was trying to explain away mistakes of the past. That felt the most self-serving to me. But when he was explaining the, the project of the future, where we're going, what he's trying now, those ideas sync up with what I see and are most compelling to me. And that's what I care about because we know what happened in the past. I'm concerned about what's going to happen in the future. And the philosophy that he's stated syncs up for me with what I see happening and in a positive way. And it does sound like the owners are bought into it and they're showing that in the only way they really can, which is with their, with their checkbook. So, you know, I, I do think also Arteta little nugget, I, was it Arteta or Adu? I think it was, was it Arteta or Adu? So someone was asked like how many more signings are coming? And he's like, there are more and that's all I'll say, you know, like it, it there was some little tidbit that came out that there's more business being done. I get the sense that whether we like the owners or don't like the owners, like Adu, like Arteta, whatever you want to say, that there is an ambition about getting better right now that feels more urgent than maybe it did in the past. And that could be related to changing football. That could be related to changing economic situations, changing asset values. Maybe you could, we could do a whole podcast on why, but the ambition level seems to be a little more elevated now. Um, but not just stupidly. So, Clive, you, you want to... Just one, on one last thing to, yeah. mm-hmm. to balance this out, because I'm very excited today about what, what about the transparency being shown and the potential going forward, football-wise and off the pitch. But I do have a little concern without being a financial expert with the money that we're spending, how are we going to recoup it via sales and where that debt is being laid, right? So that is to be confirmed. It's all good what we're seeing, there's never such a thing as free money, right? And um, if it is free money, there's something dodgy with it. So there is the other side to this. As we breathe, as we get excited, there always needs to be a balancing, you know? So let's see what happens going forward, right? And um, yeah. we may have to lose I- a player we love, or we may have to, you know, there's going to be there's gonna be a balancing somewhere, mate. It's just the, it's just the nature yeah. of the beast, right? It's funny because he's asked about Saka's contract and he said, we're in a good place. You know, we want the player, the player wants us, but we have to come That's not the player I'm thinking about. (laughs) No, 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 I know. But it it was funny because he says that. And then in the next question, he's like, we also need to be prepared for selling. Let's say, for example, we have to sell Bukayo Saka. We need to have the next player ready for that. I'm like, which is it, mate? Is the contract done or are we getting ready to sell Bukayo Saka? Now, to be fair, he also says that's not happening. I promise you that it's just a hypothetical. But it is like the worst hypothetical he could have picked. I think so, he's, so what he's anyway. saying is we have to be positioned for every eventuality in the market. And yes. so he picked yes. the worst one, which wasn't smart, yes. right? <laughs> but no, there you no, go. he gave the tabloid writers a headline if they want it. Yeah, and and I will I will say that like um, 
He's right, though, because he does say at some point these players mature to the point where you may have to sell them. The important thing is that you have the replacement ready before you sell. I think um, I think what, what the best clubs do, and you know, we don't have to name them, you know who they are, before they lose a critical piece, they already have the other piece there. Um, so that you're not, because also you don't want to be buying from position of weakness, right? The worst thing you could do is have a hundred million pounds in your pocket from losing your most important player and have every club in the continent know you've got a hundred million pounds and you're trying to replace that critical player, it's right? Best. What you ideally want to do is spend, yeah, like, like them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they did it with Gareth that Bale. Exactly. Yep. And I mean, to be fair, before Liverpool were smart, they did it with Fernando Torres. So, you know, I think, wasn't that the Andy Carroll? Was that, was that? Part of the, yeah, right, and and a bunch of garbage because they had a bunch of money in their pocket and nowhere to spend it. Anyway, uh, enough of the good old days. Let's leave it there. Tim is on Twitter at Stoberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. I have one more regular podcast from this location, and then normal service will be restored. You will not be hearing seagulls in the background. You will be hearing nothing in the background because I'll be in my home studio environment by this time next week, um, assuming that I'm still able to walk to. Uh, you know, to the car to get to the airport to walk on the plane. We'll see. Anyway, um, <clears throat> my name is Alex Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Thanks, everybody. We're going to probably do a first half rewatch of the Chelsea game, even though it's preseason, as ridiculous as that sounds, but there's been a lot of demand for it. That may happen Wednesday. Keep an eye out for that. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 transfer window news. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.